Let's turn now to the Word of God, to James uh, chapter 1. Uh, if you're visiting with us, let me just remind you, we have started a new series last week, and Jeff opened that up. Now we're looking at verse 5 to 8 today, but we're going to read uh, 2 verse 8 from the beginning, just to give the context of the, of the passage. Remember, this is the Word of God. James 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And we end our reading there. We thank God for this, his word to us. Let's pray. Father, now as we come to your word, we pray that uh, you will help us to be wise as we listen and as we respond. We simply look to you to help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, when we study the likes of the book of James, we sometimes come with it with this view that it's a book of top tips for uh, the good life, or you know, 10 simple rules for successful existence, or how to have a triumphant, victorious religion. That's the kind of approach sometimes we make it's a bit like the Beatitudes. We sometimes think the Beatitudes, and, and to a certain degree, the, the Sermon on the Mount is something easy and cozy and nice, when actually it's nothing quite like that. David Gibson, in his commentary on the book of James, points out that this letter is written to churches in great danger. Churches in great danger. He says, they're very sick churches. The churches are suffering from a deadly disease. And what James does in his book is that he um, presents us with lots and lots of the symptoms, um, and then he gives us a diagnosis of the real problem behind the symptoms, and then he, he thankfully gives us the medicine with which to sort the problem out. And we're going to meet today the first mention of the real problem. And we've already thought about it with the children. There it is in verse 8. He is a double-minded man. Sorry, my wee clicker's not working, so could you put that on to the next slide there, please? The, the um, double-minded man. This double-mindedness is the essence of our real problem. 
And it affects us all, folks. Me and you. It damages our spiritual health. It causes kind of split spirituality. You know that they have split personality? Well, we can also have split spirituality. Dipsosis is the word. Two-souled. Two-souled. We're called to oneness, aren't we? We're called to oneness, that beautiful commitment to Jesus, that spiritual wholeness in God. That's what we're called to in the gospel. But this double-mindedness is the constant conflict within us against the single-mindedness. David Gibson says this, it is possible to have a two-ness inside us corrupting the oneness that we're supposed to have. So this battle goes on, this war, this constant danger. And we're going to see it right throughout the whole book. For instance, James 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, says James, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? There's the double-mindedness spelt out. In chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There divided between listening and doing. The double-mindedness is very clearly there as well. Or or, or chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers as believers in our Lord, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. There, um, what was happening was the rich were honored and the the poor were dishonored. It was a double-minded view of people. Chapter 2, verse 17, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's a double-minded view of faith and deeds. Or chapter 3, verse 10, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, says James, a double-minded use of our mouths. So one minute we're praising God, the next moment we're shouting abuse to people. So James here is, he, he sees, he's diagnosing our real problem, this double-mindedness as he sees all the symptoms in the lives of Christians. He sees these things in the church that he's, or the churches that he's writing to, and he's saying, come on, folks, can't you see that this is all from a a deeper problem? Double-mindedness. And all these things that are happening are simply byproducts of that. And this double-mindedness kills the effectiveness of our faith. It, It destroys churches, folks. It does. It destroys churches, and it must be dealt with effectively. With what? How do we deal with this double-mindedness? Well, with spiritual medicine, actually. Spiritual medicine. And what is the spiritual medicine? It's Jesus and His grace. So let's make sure we understand what's happening here. We have the symptoms all over the book because they're all over the church. Hearing and not doing. Treating people according to worldly standards or we honor the rich and we kind of dishonor the poor. Using our mouths to praise God in one hand and yet in the other hand to um, curse people. Separating faith and works. It's seen in other places, by the way, in, in the book, grumbling, James deals with that. Boasting, James deals with that. Slandering, James deals with that. 
It's etc., 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 etc. Those are all the symptoms, but instead of kind of dealing with each symptom by itself or even collectively, he goes, no, these are all just the outward workings of a deep-rooted problem, double-mindedness, or twisted two-ness, as it's sometimes called, double standards, where we love Jesus, yes, but actually there's far too much of the old nature, the old sin in our lives. So the symptoms, the diagnosis, the medicine, it's God and His grace. Even today in verse 5, aren't we going to see? He should ask God. God is the medicine. God is the answer. He always is. It's God and His grace and His gospel. So today we should examine ourselves, friends. How am I living? What am I really like? What am I really like during the week? Believing one thing and but doing another, um, claiming this, but actually living that. Or one day God-focused and the next day me or world-focused. Double-mindedness is the problem, and Jesus and the gospel is the answer. Can I assure you that this book will challenge us? And God willing, this book will uh, change us. It'll change us. Today we're looking at verses 5 to 8. Last week, Jeff opened up with 1 to 4. And basically, you know, we're a work in progress, aren't we? God uses everything for our maturity to complete our faith. The aim is to present us as close to what Jesus is like as possible, as possible for any human being to achieve. That's his aim, through the gospel, changing us. And James says that God actually uses trials. That's what he begins with. We will face trials of many kinds, but we're to face these trials with joy. Why? Because we need them. Because these trials test our faith and they produce perseverance, they produce maturity in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. However, you might have we question marks about that. So this is why he moves on um, into the next section, because if you don't see the value of trials, as spelt out in verses 1 to 4, if you can't see any joy in going through all of these trials, if you think that the maturity goal that God has set for us is not worth it. If, 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 you need wisdom. If you're going to deny verses 1 to 4, then you need verses 5 to 8. You and I need wisdom. And that's what we're going to think about uh, this morning. First of all, we see the human need. The human need. If any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, wisdom is a kind of an old-fashioned term, isn't it? It's the kind of word you don't hear very often um, in modern conversations, but it's thoroughly biblical. You'll find it all over the place. We need wisdom, and sadly, we often lack wisdom. It's more than knowledge um, or education or insight or intellect. All of these things by themselves or even taken together can't add up to wisdom. 
Because I think we all know you can be well-educated and not very wise. What we're doing very often in our modern world is creating a generation of educated pagans. Oh, they're educated, okay, but they have no time nor thought of God. We live in perhaps the most highly educated culture of all time. And yet, is there much wisdom around? A serious lack of wisdom, surely, as we look at the moral choices people make day after day, or in the relationships people enter into, or the crudeness and cruelty that we see in society, or the anger and the addiction that's all around us. There's a serious lack of wisdom. Serious lack of wisdom. Wisdom, you see, is information of God put into action. So we receive the wisdom from God, but it's not just that. It's not just in our heads. It's then put into action. Now, I was going to sing the old chorus, you know, the wise man built. Maybe, should I? Do you want me to sing it? The wise man builds his house upon the rock, and the foolish man builds his house upon the Do you know what Jesus said? Whoever hears these words of mine, and what comes next? And puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we receive the wisdom of God, and we put it into action. That is wisdom. Even what you do with today's teaching, these verses, how you react to them, how you accept them, how you receive them, how you put them into action will prove whether you're wise or not. Wisdom. Wisdom is seeing God's will and seeing God's will done. It's not just seeing God's will. It's not just receiving. It's receiving and it's living out. That's wisdom. Is it not true that as human beings, even saved human beings, we can have our own agenda, our own plans, our own ideas? Isn't it not true that very often we say to God, you know, God, I think I know better. I don't want trials. I don't need testing. Surely there must be a better way. God, surely there must be a better way. My way is better than your way. Now, we may not use those words, but the way we live our lives very often reflects that. But wisdom is hearing, seeing, knowing God's will, and then putting it into action. Putting it into action. We need it. We lack it. We need to ask for wisdom. And part of the Holy Spirit ministry in our lives is stopping us doing something and starting us doing something. The Holy Spirit ministry in our lives stops us trusting in our own intellect and starts us trusting in God's wisdom. Oh, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives in this regard. T.P. Forsyth said this, Unless there is within us that which is above us, we shall soon become like that around us. 
I find that very helpful. So unless there is within us that which is above us, His wisdom, then we simply just become like those around us in the world that surrounds us. And this explains how Christians can act so foolishly because they've just become like people around us. Wisdom is practical, godly application of His knowledge, seeing God's will and wanting it done, seeing God's will and living it out. That's our human need. We lack wisdom, and we should seek after it. Secondly, this powerful source. He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. God alone is perfect wisdom, and God longs to give us his wisdom. That's his, that's his will. It's one of his attributes. That's why we um, love the, the catechism, catechism number four. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. But the point here, of course, is not whether God is wisdom or not. He is, but rather the availability of his wisdom. He should ask God for wisdom. You can't miss it. God is waiting for us to ask. He's a giving God. Picture a large jug full of wisdom tilted towards us as children, and he, he just wants to pour wisdom out on us. Wisdom over the trial-parched landscape of our lives. We should ask God for it. Now, I know many of you, I know most of you very well. I know many of you have been through trials. You, you've live, you live in this broken world. You live in this world where it's trial-parched, as one commentator calls it, trial-parched. And we need His wisdom to cope to survive. He will give generously to all of us if we should just simply ask. You know, He never puts us down. He never demeans us. Do you know, will you ever hear God say to you, you're thick and stupid. You're thick and stupid. He'll never say that. We will never be an irritation to Him. He has an open hand, willing to give us wisdom, not a clenched fist that he is, is angry with us. And every trial of life, therefore, if you link it in with verses 1 to 4, every trial of life is a gigantic opportunity to become wise. So God is willing to give to us from a, a full hand and a loving heart generously. Notice the, another rephrase that um, James uses there, without finding fault. You know, he's not looking for a certain kind of person. He's not looking for a genius who comes with all the adequate mental and intellectual ability. No, he doesn't keep a tab. He doesn't measure our worthiness. And that's why one commentator put it like this. I just thought it was shared with you. Simplicity, availability, generosity. Simplicity. We should ask availability. He will give generously. Generosity. No one is excluded. That's the powerful source. The powerful source. 
But what about the simple means? Because we need to go on and deal with this. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. We're talking here about asking, of course, praying. We'll, we'll move, focus slightly here. Prayer, it sounds simple, and of course it is actually very simple. But when he prays, or when he asks, when, it's another when, verse 2, whenever you face trials, not if, and here when he asks, God expects us to pray and to ask, and we need to pray and ask, just as we were singing, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And if only we could grasp this truth, if only we were wise enough to know that we need wisdom, if only we were wise enough to know that we should ask for it again and again. But of course, there's a war going on in your heart and in mine for our praying time and for our trusting time. One commentator puts it like this, Satan cannot prevent God answering our prayers, but he does all he can to prevent us asking. Satan can't stop God's gifting of wisdom, but he can stop us asking. Notice, but when he asks, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. Does that sound familiar? Well, a brother of James said something similar, and of course his name is Jesus. We don't need any religious ritual we don't need actually any elaborate preparation. We don't need any human mediator because Jesus is our divine mediator. We just pray and we just ask. I think we all know the value of prayer, don't we? We value what it means to ask God because in our need we've asked God and he has come and he's blessed. But we need to ask God for wisdom. so that our ignorance is replaced by his wisdom, our weakness is replaced by his strength, and our emptiness is replaced by his fullness. But you notice the two conditions here. One is positive. He must believe. But when he asks, he must believe. Belief and faith is essential for the person who prays. It's not um, kind of a lucky charm that we hold in our pocket. It's not like some superstitious ritual. Or as one commentator said, it's not like putting a first-class stamp on um, the request rather than a second-class stamp. No, it's faith, which is an essential attitude of the person who prays. It's faith in the Lord Jesus. So it's not a shot in the dark. It's not some sort of vague hope. It's believing prayer in Jesus, in our relationship through him to God. It's in our relationship with God through salvation in Christ. It's faith in the person of Jesus. So positively, he must believe. And then, of course, negatively, it's very obvious, and not doubt. Verses 6 to 8. When he asks, 
he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all he does. James loves illustrations, as we're going to see right throughout the book, and here he uses winds and waves. And you've got to use your imagination. Imagine a storm is raging, the winds are howling, the waves are crashing, and there's chaos and destruction all around, and the boat is on the rocks and is being battered. That's the picture of a person who lacks faith in God. And he's double-minded, double-minded. That's our core problem. If you know Pilgrim's Progress, you, you, you will remember Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. Back and forward, double-minded. Distracted by painful difficulties, misled by disruptive people, seduced by unsound doctrine, just creating mayhem. And life in this fallen world creates lots and lots of storms. But faith and belief seeks for, asks for wisdom, the wisdom of God, fruitful living, safe and productive results come from that. But no faith leads to no wisdom, and we're unsafe and unproductive. We're, we're, like, we're like a ship on the rocks, just being destroyed little bit by little bit. So in conclusion, what are the results if I don't have true wisdom? What are they? Well, just three there. You, you, we've already hinted at some of them. Um, we receive nothing, verse 7. Um, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Unsuccessful. Do you, ever, do you ever try ringing a phone that's on silent or switched off? It's very, it's very um, frustrating, isn't it? Especially if you've paid the bill of the person who is actually you're trying to ring. Not that I'm thinking of anybody in particular. You can't get through. And you shout at the phone, why won't they answer? If we have doubts, or if we don't ask, we're going to receive nothing. The wisdom we need, we will not receive. So if you've got problems with the trials you're going through, or the trials that you've gone through, or the trials that you're going to face in the future, you, have, you need wisdom to deal with these things. If not, you'll receive nothing from the Lord. And then, we've hinted at this before, we're simply double-minded at the beginning of verse 8. He is a double-minded man. You know, the, the picture is, is a pathetic, sad, miserable picture of a man who wants the best of both worlds. And he's torn, and he's divided. He wants to trust in God, and he wants to trust in himself. He wants to have trust on a Sunday and self every other day. He's double-minded. And, of course, he's unstable at the end of verse 8. Unstable in all he does. Instability seeps into every department of life. And that's why, by the way, we often see people who manage in their 20s and their 30s to, to keep going with the double-minded life 
They seem to just to keep going. I don't know it's an adrenaline or past experience, but as time goes by, you see them break apart. Their personalities sometimes break apart. Their relationships break apart. Their commitment to Christ breaks apart. Their trust in the Word of God breaks apart. Why? Because as 20s or 30-year-olds, they have become and remained double-minded. So I speak to those of you in that age group this morning. If you want to end up on the rocks with the wind and the waves battering against you and the trials of life destroying you and your family and your marriage and your faith and your witness, then keep on being double-minded, loving Jesus a little bit and loving the world a lot. Keep on doing that. But if you want your head and your heart and your marriage and your family and your faith intact and strong and growing, then be single-minded and ask for wisdom and receive His wisdom, the knowledge of God lived out. Unstable in all He does, unsteady, distracted, inconsistent, and absolutely miserable. We see it in relationships. We see it in the level of commitment. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. And it's painful to watch. A bit of God, a bit of the Bible, a bit of Christianity, and a bit, a big bit, a very big bit, of the world. A bit of you, Jesus, and a big bit of everything else. I want it all. I want it all. That's double-mindedness. Because you can't have it all. You will not have it all. That kind of attitude will destroy you. So the di di diagnosis is double-mindedness. The symptoms are the way we treat the Word of God, the way we treat our tongue, the way we treat people, the way we treat our faith, blah, 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 blah. It's seen everywhere. The medicine is Jesus, who, of course, was the pure, perfect example of single-mindedness. He was single-minded, and he is single-minded in his love for you. He's single-minded in his obedience to the Father. He's single-minded in his holiness, single-minded in his truth, single-minded in his sacrifice for our sin, single-minded in his payment of the cost of our double-mindedness. He is the answer. His gospel is always the answer. He's single-minded. He's wise. He's loving. He's gracious. And he says to you, ask. Ask, and I will give you everything you need. Ask. In faith, I will give you everything I need. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are greater and bigger than even our worst rebellion. You are the answer to our double-mindedness. Thank you, Jesus, that you were and are single-minded in your love for us, in your giving of truth, 
and supplying the sacrifice for our sin. You're single-minded in wanting to give us the best for life. Your sweet, beautiful wisdom. And we pray that we will ask and receive from you the sweet, beautiful wisdom of God. Thank you for this book. Thank you for the lessons we're going to learn. Keep on writing your word on our hearts. Shape our wills. And may we live for your great glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.